John's Gospel. So if you'll turn to chapter 5, we'll start reading at verse 16. We'll cover verses 16 through 47. If you do need a Bible to follow along with us, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. You can turn to the fourth book of the New Testament, which is John's Gospel, as you know. Chapter 5, verse 16. We covered last week, as you recall, as we opened up chapter 5 that it tells us of the story about Jesus healing a man there in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And it would take place at the pool that was called Bethesda. And Jesus would heal a man that had an infirmity for 38 years. And as Jesus told him to take up his bed, to walk, to rise up uh, when the healing took place, being on a Sabbath day, the religious leaders saw this man carrying his bed. And they asked him, who told you to do that? You see the hearts of the religious leaders. They were ones that they didn't care about people. We're going to read in our text here this morning that Jesus is going to tell them, you don't have the love of the Father in you. And because they didn't have the love of the Father in them, they didn't have a love for people. Here was a man that had an infirmity for 38 years, and all they cared about was their rules and regulations concerning the Sabbath day. And so they would say, who told you to do that? And they would eventually find out that it was Jesus. And as we're going to continue in this chapter here, we're going to read that the Jews, and whenever you read that term, the Jews, it's talking about the religious leaders of the land. They want to have Jesus put to death because he did this healing on the Sabbath day. Hey, it's a violation. Uh, healing on the Sabbath is considered work, and that's not to be done on the Sabbath. Let's go ahead and read verse 16 of John chapter 5. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And let's pray. Father, as we get into our text here and as we finish the chapter this morning, we're going to see some very, very important claims that Jesus is going to make concerning himself and his relationship to the Father. And these are essential for us to know, very important for us to understand, that Jesus makes it very, very clear that he's the God-man, fully God and fully man, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that our ears would be open and our hearts attentive and, and soft and teachable before you as we continue here in this chapter this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here is the religious leaders again coming against Jesus because they feel like he violated the Sabbath day. And we know that Jesus did not violate the Sabbath. Uh, later on in his ministry when he's up in the Galilee region, as you read in Matthew chapter 12, uh, the Jews, the religious leaders, again, the Pharisees, uh, the main ones that were upset about uh, the Sabbath um, being broken, what they considered to be broken uh, it was up in the Galilee region that here was Jesus' disciples that were plucking heads of grain in the field, and that was not illegal for them to do, but the religious leaders were upset because they were doing it on a Sabbath day, and they said, why do your disciples 
do this on the Sabbath day. It's lawful. It was considered work as you would take the heads of grain, put it in your hand, you'd rub it, and then blow the chaff away and then eat the grain. They considered that threshing. And so Jesus would rebuke those religious leaders, and he would say to them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He would go on to say that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And it was the religious establishment of Israel, again, particularly the Pharisees, remember that they were a sect of religious leaders who were dedicated to keeping the most minute details of the law, all the interpretations, all the rules and regulations that the scribes have written about how to keep the Sabbath and, and their traditions and the, and the law of God. And, and what happened was is that they were the ones eventually who were distorting the Sabbath day, the Pharisees were. They were the ones that didn't understand what the Sabbath was to be to the people of God. The Sabbath was to be a day of, of refreshment and renewal and relaxation. But they had made it a day of legalities and rules and traditions and regulations. And what happened was it, it became a huge burden for the people. That's why Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath was made for man. It's a time to be refreshed in the Lord and to focus on the Lord. It's not man for the Sabbath with all of your rules and regulations. So as they made it that way at the time, um, they uh, had a priority, those Pharisees, in their religiousness and trying to keep the Sabbath day perfectly. Matter of fact, they believed that if Israel kept the Sabbath day perfectly, then the Messiah would come. And they didn't know that Messiah was standing right there in their midst. And the Lord was working powerfully. So the religious leaders, as we read in verse 16, they want to put Jesus to death. But as we continue on here, we're going to see that it was more than he violated the Sabbath day rules. We're going to see that Jesus is going to make some very unique claims here as we see him in answering these religious leaders and in this discussion that he has with them, this response that he has to the Jews, we're going to see that Jesus is going to focus on one foundational truth of what he was all about. Why I'm doing this work. Why that I come into Jerusalem and overturn the money changers' tables and drive out the oxen and the sheep that we saw in chapter 2. They're saying, why do you do these things? And what authority do you do these things? And we're going to see that Jesus, in this discussion here, is going to talk about one single truth, and that is his relationship with the Father. This discussion that he has, the claims that he makes concerning why he healed on the Sabbath day, it's because of one essential truth, and that is, that is what my father does. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that he makes three very important claims here, explaining in detail through this chapter that remains his relationship with his father. For those of you who like to jot down notes, it's going to be outlined in this way. We will read in verses 17 through 23 that Jesus claimed to be equal with the father. Then in verses 24 through 29, we're going to see his claims to have authority to raise the dead. And then in verses 30 to the end of the chapter, through verse 47, 
the fourfold witness supporting his claim of deity. So let's begin to look at that, his claims to be equal with the Father. At verse 17 we read, But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So Jesus is telling those religious leaders, My Father has been working on the Sabbath, just like I have been working on the Sabbath. It really is an amazing answer that Jesus is giving to them. Jesus is saying that when the Father works, I work. Later, he's going to say that the Father and I are one. And I am so blessed, and I am so glad, and I know you are too, that God, he doesn't take one day off a week and doesn't help us in our needs, that he says, I'm not going to hear your prayers. We know that the psalmist writes in Psalm 46 that God, he's a very present help in trouble. And what that means, a very present help, is that he hears you right now. He's there to be your help right then as you call out to him. And I am so thankful that God doesn't say, well, I'm closed, so come back tomorrow. He works in the lives of his people every single day. Also, when Jesus made that statement in verse 17, the Jews knew exactly what he was claiming. You see, it wasn't just an argument over the Sabbath that caused the Jews to put in their hearts to have Jesus be put to death. It, it wasn't just an argument over the interpretation of the law that caused the Jews, the religious leaders, as we read, to persecute Jesus. It was more than that. Because in the middle of this incident, Jesus claimed to be God when he said, The Father has been working and I have been working. And therefore, verse 18, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father making himself equal with God. They were right, the religious leaders, in this. And what Jesus was doing, these religious leaders were intelligent enough to realize what Jesus was claiming. There are those who will come along and they will tell you and me that Jesus never claimed to be God. There are so-called scholars that will dismiss that. They say, well, Jesus didn't really say that, or he didn't realize the impact of what he was saying. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. Matter of fact, as we go through this, we will see that Jesus, when we pick it up in verse 19, he's going to say most assuredly. If you have a King James Version, it, it reads verily, verily. And whenever you read that, most assuredly or verily, verily, what Jesus is saying is listen up. I'm going to be very clear about this. I want you to understand what it is that I'm saying. He's, he's starting to make a statement that what he's beginning to say is understand this, pay attention, this is important. And so he knew exactly what it is that he was claiming, and the Pharisees knew exactly what it was that he was claiming as well. And so they wanted to kill him even more because he made himself out to be equal with God. Verse 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you that uh, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And so Jesus is claiming here that the works that he does are the works of God that the works that he does is in perfect harmony with the Father. And so the man that I just healed of that infirmity was the work of God because I do no works apart from my Father. You scribes and you Pharisees are finding fault with me for working on a Sabbath day 
but if you want to find fault with me, then you have to find fault with God because the works that I do are the works of God. But they couldn't see that he was the son. They couldn't see the, the relationship he had with the father. They couldn't see that the son and the father work in harmony because, you know, of the hardness of their hearts because they were more concerned about their traditions. They were blinded spiritually. In verse 20, as Jesus continues addressing them, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. As we continue in John's gospel, we're going to see that marvelous works Jesus is going to do. He's going to take five loaves of bread and two small fish, and he's going to feed thousands. We're going to see Jesus put clay on the eyes of a man who was born blind. And we're going to read about that man's healing. We're going to see Jesus raise a man from the dead whose name was Lazarus. And then he's going to claim that I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. God can make alive those who are dead. And I, the Son, doing the work of the Father, will give life to those whom he will. You know, he's not just talking about raising the dead physically. Jesus is going to do that. He's going to be the one that's going to claim to raise, you know, the dead. And we know that Jesus is the one that, more importantly, he makes us alive spiritually. Yes, we're going to be raised in the resurrection. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But the scriptures declare that you and I, because of our sin, that we are dead spiritually. Later on, Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, and, and you, Jesus, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Because of our sin, because of our trespasses, because we have sinned against a holy God, we are dead spiritually. But Paul given us that wonderful good news. He says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. He's the one that makes us alive spiritually. That's why he would say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus, you must be born again. So he gives life to those whom he will. In verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. And he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. These words that Jesus are speaking to those religious leaders would be very offensive to them, but it's very direct. And, and the religious leaders would be very upset. As Jesus says that the Father and I are working in harmony. I do no works apart from God. And he says, I give life to whom I will, just as the Father gives life. And then he says that all judgment has been committed to the Son, verse 22, as we just read. Notice that his claim of deity to be equal with the Father is being explained more. Every one of them who heard him knew the Old Testament says that God is the judge of all. God is the only one who has the authority to judge humanity. That authority is never granted to a human being. That is eternal judgment. Because we answer to God. And the judgment of humanity is something that alone belongs to God. 
And so Jesus says, as referring to himself as the son, which was a messianic phrase, the scribes and the Pharisees knew that as well. Remember that they claimed to know God. They claimed to have a love for God, and yet they hated the son. They wanted him dead. And Jesus is telling those Jews that I am the Messiah, that I am the promised one, that I am the Christ. I am the one who has been promised by Moses. I am the one that has been promised by all the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. And not only that, but God has given me the authority to judge the world. I am God. And you see, it wasn't just a slip of the tongue. It wasn't like Jesus said, the Father and I are one. Oops, sorry, I didn't know what I was saying. I wasn't quite clear. I was confused. It wasn't that he was insane, but he was speaking truth. And he's saying, all judgment is given to me. He's saying, verily, verily, listen up. And if you don't honor the Son, then you don't honor the Father. You see, Jesus wasn't just a, a good spiritual leader or teacher or prophet or philosopher. He was in complete harmony with the Father. He was the God-man, fully God and fully man. Jesus said to his disciples later on, right about six months before he would go to the cross, when he was up at Caesarea Philippi, and he would ask them, who do men say that I am? And they began to answer, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus got personal with them, just as he will with us. And he said, who do you say that I am? And that is a question that all of us have to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? And as we look at God's word, we see that he indeed claimed to be God incarnate, the one who would later, after this, about two and a half years later, go to the cross. And he would go to the cross to die for our sins. Not just because the religious leaders wanted him to be put to death, but he had to go. It was determined before the foundation of the world that he would go to the cross. And he would be one that would bring reconciliation to the Father for us. And the atoning work of the cross as he shed his blood for forgiveness of sin. And he did it freely and he did it willingly as he would go so that we can have eternal life. We can be forgiven. We can have true relationship with the Father. And Jesus here is saying, you who despise me, you're going to stand before me in judgment. And what Jesus once again is confirming is, if you say that I love God, I believe in God, I have relationship with God, listen, apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot be reconciled to the Father. We cannot truly know or truly worship or serve the Father. It comes through the Son, our relationship with Him, our acceptance of Him and what He has done for us. Jesus is saying, I do the work of the Father. I always do the things that please the Father. Now, that brings up a point that I think is worth stopping and considering here this morning because if I were to ask you, what is it that, that you do? And, and I'm not talking about vocationally, what it is that you do in your job or your business. I'm asking, what is it that you do concerning the kingdom of God? 
And you might say, well, you know, I have this ministry that I do, or I have this vision, or, you know, I'm just seeking the Lord, or I'm attempting to, you know, be a part of the kingdom of God in this way. But all those things, as valid as they are, are insignificant in comparison to a singular essential key that we are seeing here in this chapter, and that is your relationship with the Lord. You see, no other agenda, no other ministry, no other vision, no other priority. Jesus was so singular and so simple and so focused around one issue, and that was his relationship with the Father. Everything that he did was in perfect harmony with the Father. He never did anything. He never said anything out of the will of the Father. And, of course, we know that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it's written concerning Jesus that he's the image of the invisible God. In other words, he's the perfect representation of the Father. And that's what he's saying in this section of John chapter 5 over and over and over again. So after Jesus tells the religious leaders that he is a perfect reflection of the Father, equal with the Father, we read in verses 24 through 29 his claim to raise the dead. Let's begin to read that in verse 24 most assuredly. Again, he's saying, listen up. This is important. This is true. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. And most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of God. In verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So Jesus telling the Jews, the religious leaders, and, and saying to us through the word here this morning, that my father raises the dead, I too raise the dead. Now it's kind of interesting that Jesus at this point has not raised the dead. In other words, what we're going to see as we continue on, that Jesus is going to raise, for example, uh, Lazarus in chapter 11. And Lazarus, who had been dead for a few days, he's going to call out to Lazarus. But those that he raised from the dead, whether it was Jairus' daughter that is in the Synoptic Gospels recorded, or the widow of name, or whoever it was, Lazarus, and um, they would be raised by the dead from Jesus, but yet they would live to die again. So Jesus here referring to the time when he would raise the dead, they, they, they would hear the voice of the Son of Man. It, it's interesting in John chapter 11 as Jesus is there and, and Lazarus is in the tomb and they said that, you know what, he, he's been there for a while. And it was probably kind of like a cemetery, lots of tombs that were there in that area that they used to bury the dead. And Jesus would cry forth, come forth Lazarus. Why did he say Lazarus? I think he had to say Lazarus, otherwise everybody would have came forth. <laughs> so Jesus would raise the dead, and they would, Lazarus, come forth to die again. But in verse 26, he speaks of his resurrection. The grave could not hold Jesus because he's the prince of life. 
we're going to read in chapter 10 of this gospel in verses 17 and 18 that he says, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. And because Jesus rose from the grave, then he speaks about how we have the promise of a resurrection as well. So Lazarus was raised from the dead temporarily. He would die again. But there's going to be a time where Jesus says that those who are in the grave are going to hear the voice and going to be resurrected unto life. And we know that um, as Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now remember this, that the resurrection is speaking more of, um, yes, it is eternal life, but it's eternal life in a new heavenly body. See, this body of mine and yours as well, someday is going to wear out. And it's put into a grave, and, and, um, and one day, these bodies of ours are going to be raised up, as Paul writes about that quite extensively in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That he says that what is, you know, going to be, be corruptible raised incorruptible. And well, because of Jesus rose from the grave, as he starts out uh, the chapter saying that it's a fact that Jesus resurrected bodily, we have the promise of a bodily resurrection as well. And he's going to raise up those at that hour when those who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. Now, for the believer, that's going to take place, we know, at the rapture of the church. When we die in these bodies, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, we immediately go to be with the Lord. But at the rapture of the church, as Paul talks about, what's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye at a moment, we all shall be changed, 1 Corinthians 15, is when we're going to get new resurrected bodies. And to the unbeliever, there's going to be a resurrection as well. And here Jesus calls it the resurrection of condemnation. Revelation chapter 20 calls it the second res resurrection, and that's going to take place at the end of the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, that thousand-year reign of Jesus, and we know that those unbelievers are going to stand at the great white throne judgment and be sentenced to outer darkness, to the lake of fire for all eternity. So Jesus talking about this amazing thing, the resurrection in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own but the will of the Father that sent me. So Jesus once again confirming, he's reiterating, I'm submitted fully to the Father. I don't work, you know, apart from the Father. I do only the will of the Father who sent me. And this morning, again, I think that we can learn from that. It is to remind us that in our Christian lives and in our Christian journey that we are to seek His will. We're not just to be seeking our own will or our own agendas, but always desire to do Your will, Father. I want to know You. I want to know the Scriptures. I know that as I seek You, Lord, it's being submitted to the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit and abiding in You, Lord. And my priority in life is to do the will of the Father, not my will, but your will be done in my life. But before we leave verse 30 as well, I want us to note something very important. Jesus says, my judgment is righteous, and we need to remember that. There are those that will come to you and to me as a Christian, and they'll protest. Well, how can God send anybody to hell? You know, how can God say that he's a God of love and, and not save everybody? Or how can God allow this to happen in life? 
or why is there evil and all of this? Know this, that all throughout the scripture, it says that God's judgment is righteous. Just as Jesus says here, my judgment is righteous. It is right. It is true. My judgment, my decisions. And in Revelation chapter 19, that it tells us that we will all be in heaven together. And we will all cry out together, righteous and true are your judgments, your decisions, O Lord. And I just want to encourage you that we believe in a righteous, holy God. And maybe there's some things that happen in your life, maybe some difficulties or circumstances or loss that you experience. And you may not understand it all. And you may not understand why the Lord allows certain things to happen. But he has an eternal perspective. And know that he's with you and his promises are true. But always remember, righteous and true are your judgments, your decisions, O Lord. And then Jesus speaks about the fourfold witness supporting his deity. Let's begin to look at that in verse 31. And if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnessed of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from men, but I say these things that you may be saved. It was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The word witness is a very important word in John's Gospels used 47 times. Jesus has just told the Jews that I am God that I do the Father's work, that if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. I have been given all judgment, and I will grant eternal life, and I give witness to the Father. But here Jesus says that, that I don't give witness of myself, but number one, that the Father gives witness of me, verse 31, which is true. And then he's going to speak again of the Father's witness in verse 37, who sent me has testified of me. Now remember at the baptism of Jesus that it was the Father's voice that was heard as Jesus came out of the water that the voice of the Father was heard, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice of the Father was heard once again saying the same thing. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You hear him. And then the third time the voice of the Father was heard in John chapter 12, verse 28, when Jesus said, Father, glorify your name, and then the Father's voice was heard, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Interesting, because a short time after that, in John chapter 17, as Jesus is getting ready to go through the sufferings of the cross, as he's there praying before, right before he would be arrested in the garden. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. How was it that the son was going to glorify the father? It was by going to the cross and rising from the grave to show the father's love and provision and wisdom and grace and mercy. It would be known through his son, Jesus. And the Father and the Son being glorified together. And the incredible work of grace that they have done for us in provision. The second witness in verses 33 through 35 is John the Baptist, who, of course, pointed to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And Jesus says something here. He says of him, he's a burning and shining light. I wish that would be said of all of us. I, I pray, Lord, I want you to be able to say that about me, just a burning and shining light in this dark world. That's what the Lord desires for us to be, a light in the darkness of this world because there's darkness all around us and it's getting more dark, isn't it? And we can have the same ministry as John and that is pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to clarion of Jesus. You know, there it is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Turn to him. So the second witness of John the Baptist and then the third witness in verse 36 is the works, the miracles of Jesus. Now here's something kind of interesting to consider. In Matthew chapter 11, when John the Baptist was arrested by Herod and he's in prison and he sends messengers to Jesus, are you the coming one? And I think John was just kind of discouraged and his, his faith had faltered a little bit. And, and Jesus said, go tell John the things which you hear and see. And then Jesus would quote from Isaiah chapter 35, that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached. And then we would go back, no doubt, and tell John that. And I'm sure when John heard that, he said, oh, yes, how could I doubt? Of course he's the Messiah, the works that he does. His works validated that he was the Son of God as spoken from the Old Testament prophets. And then the fourth witness, verse 37, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The fourth witness, the word of God. The religious leaders boasted in knowing the scriptures, but they had missed it. And Jesus is saying that you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. I am eternal life. And the prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah, you should know. You should see that I'm fulfilling them. You know that, that the prophets spoke of my coming. But also as you go through the scriptures, you go through the Old Testament, and we do this on Wednesday nights, we go through the Old Testament, there's so many pictures and types and shadows all pointing to Jesus. The feast, the, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, it all points to and speaks of Jesus, all fulfilled by Jesus. So Jesus is saying that these are they that testify of me. And then in verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I didn't, do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. You boast in knowing the scriptures, but you don't have the love of God in you. You only care about your traditions. You only care about your status and your having prestige and and having authority and ruling heavy-handedly over the people. That's all you care about. You know, it really shows us here that a person can be very religious but not have the love of God in them. And Jesus at one time would rebuke those religious leaders and saying, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're all polished on the outward, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. So here, as he says, you don't have the love of, of God in you. So the question is this. Do you and I really have the love of God in us? Do you really respond to his love? We can love him because he first loved us. Do you have the love of God in you? 
And maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but as Jesus would say to the church at Ephesus, the one thing that I have against you is that you've left your first love. He didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. And we've talked about this before, that Jesus would say that remember from which you have fallen, repent and return. And if anyone is here this morning and perhaps your love for the Lord is distant and been cold and maybe you can say, you know, I have left. I I'm going through the motions. I'm doing ministry. I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can to live for God. But your love for God is cold. Remember from which you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first fell in love with the Lord and came to the Lord and you fell alive for the first time. You were dead spiritually, but he made you alive. And just the, everything was different. And the love that he put into your heart, repent, turn, and, and go back and do those first works. What were you doing? Were you spending time with the Lord? Were you spending time worshiping him? Slowing down, sitting at his feet. Go back and do those things. And then Jesus here, he says to those religious leaders, I don't seek honor from you guys. I only seek honor from my father. So again, the question to ask this morning is who do we seek honor from? Is it from men or from God? And we know that Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Galatian believers, he said, I'm not here to please men. If I were, then I couldn't be a true bondservant of Jesus Christ. We know in a recent study of the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah was one that he would say of himself and the leaders that he raised up that these are men that, that feared God more than other people, than other men. And to be a true, you know, disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to be ones that we fear God over fearing men. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't fear you guys. I don't seek honor from you. I seek honor from my Father. And it needs to be the same with us. In verse 43, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receives honor for one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? You won't receive me. If another comes, you will receive him. Interesting, what is Jesus referring to? There are some Bible commentators and, and scholars that suggest that Jesus is just making reference to their past. And again, as you go through, you know, their history, you see that at times that God's people forsook the Lord and they went after idols and they went after false worship and, and false gods. And it was the prophets that came along and they rejected those prophets who were saying, turn away from those idols and turn back to the true and living God. So some suggest that's all Jesus is really saying. But many scholars suggest that Jesus is talking about a future time you won't believe me, but an honor you're going to, another you're going to receive. That he's talking about the Antichrist that will come on the scene. When the Antichrist comes on the scene and he makes a covenant with Israel for one week, you'll receive him. But me, you're going to reject, and it won't be long that you're going to be crying out, crucify him. So perhaps he's speaking of the Antichrist that's going to come in the future. But verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses. Moses was one that they boasted in, didn't they? They boasted they, that Moses was the one that brought the law. Moses the one who, who penned the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. 
And Moses, Jesus said, wrote about me. And here you are boasting about him, trusting in him. He accuses you because he wrote about me. I am that prophet that Moses would say would come. So I want to leave you with this. The very important essential question, if I was to title this sermon here this morning, it would be this. What is your relationship to the Father? Jesus is focusing, this is my relationship to the Father. I do his work. I do no work apart from him. I seek honor from him. If you honor me, you honor him, the Father. If you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. And I come to judge the world. All judgment has been granted to me. But for you and for me, what is our relationship to the Father? Is there love? Is there a desire to honor him? Is there a desire to know him? You see, having the word of God here, and I think what this this chapter shows us having a knowledge of the scripture is going to do one of two things. As Paul said in, to the Corinthian believers, that knowledge puffs up. That either it's going to give you a big head, but what I pray is that it gives you a burning heart. That the word of God would be in your heart more than in your hands this morning. That the word of God would be in our hearts as we know him and his provision, and what he's done for us, and his goodness, that knowing the word of God is very, very important. Those of you who've been around here long enough know that's why I teach the scriptures verse by verse, and from Genesis to Revelation. But it's more than just having it here, to where we can walk around and, and boast in the knowledge that we have. It's having it here so it's worked out in our lives, and loving others, and doing the will of the Father, and pleasing him with our lives. The love of God in us as we abide in him, abide in his love, and abide in his word. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for uh, going through this, this chapter and uh, looking at this very carefully, the claims that Jesus made, his relationship to the Father. And, Father, it is my prayer this morning that as we have heard that all judgment has been committed to you, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And Jesus is the one that has provided forgiveness of sin. That those who have not committed themselves to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, are spiritually dead because of sin and trespasses. And that's why Jesus came to this world. He came to die for your sins. He came to give you eternal life and to bring you into right relationship with the Father the true God, the creator of the universe. Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross and he went freely and willingly. He says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. He rose from the grave. And if anyone is here listening to this message and you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, your life, he is the author of eternal life. And the Bible says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation is not found in you trying to be good or believing in anyone else or anything else. Jesus alone died for your sins and he alone conquered the grave, conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. The tomb is empty. And this morning he says, come. The Bible says because of sin, 
that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus would cry out, repent, turn to me. Turn to me and surrender your life to me. Believe in me. Put your faith and trust in him and who he is and what he did for you. And you can pray right where you're at because today is the day of salvation. Listen, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And eternity is eternity. There's going to be a resurrection to those to everlasting life and a resurrection to those to condemnation. That's the truth of God's word that we just read. Jesus said, verily, verily. Understand this. This is true. What resurrection do you want to be a part of? I know for, for us in this room that are believers, it's going to be the resurrection unto life. But if you have not made a commitment to Jesus, don't mess around. Surrender your heart to him right now. And you can pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner. That, Lord, that I believe that you shed your blood for, for me. Forgive me. And that you were put into a grave and you rose again after three days. You're alive knocking on the door of my heart and I now let you in to sit on the throne of my heart. Thank you for dying for me for hearing my prayer, for your work of grace and love and dying for me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer and even if you're out in a coffee shop and we do this at every service, I want you to just put your hand up and put it back down to confirm the decision that you've made to say that I've made a decision for Jesus Christ. God bless you, I see you. Is there anybody else that you're just saying, I'm coming to Christ, anybody at all in this service? If you're out in a coffee shop, we have pastors there to, to minister to you. And Father, I thank you for this one who's raised his hand. And Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in the free gift of salvation that is given to us. We can't earn it. But Lord, we can sure enjoy it. And that all of us here, as we belong to you, Lord, that we would desire to do your will and to please you and to honor you in everything that we do, to be a, a burning and shining light in a dark world. Father, take everybody home today safely. Bless our week coming up. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen.